may be seated. If you're visiting today, we're glad that you're here. We've been looking uh, since the month of August at the book of Romans, great apologetic for the Christian faith. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian or what Christianity is about, please study uh, the book of Romans. It's been a blessing to me. I've not preached on this in 20 years, and uh, it has richly blessed me. Now, let me tell you where we are today. It's a very uh, pivotal point in the book of Romans, uh, Romans 8. And everything that Paul has done from Romans 1 to 7 is, is to tell us that uh, by works of the law, no man will be justified. And, uh, and so he comes to, to Romans 8 and he makes a contrast between life under the law and life in the Spirit. Because you're one or the other this morning. You're either walking in the Spirit, united to Christ by the Spirit, and growing in an assurance of your salvation, or you're in Adam and you're under the law. So Paul wants to make an understanding, help us understand exactly how this works. What is life in the Spirit? So read with me uh, God's Word. It's found there printed in your bulletin. We believe this is the holy and inerrant Word of God. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for the Scriptures. They teach us uh, not only about you, but the way to you. And we thank you for this text that is before us. Lord, we confess to you that often our hearts are heavy and weighed down because we look away from Christ And we put ourselves under our man-made rules or even under your law apart from your spirit. And we either become very heavy, cynical, or very self-righteous. So Lord, help us to know what it means to walk in the spirit. And Father, for those who uh, have yet to understand the gospel, I pray that you would help them hear the good news uh, this morning. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Uh, back in the 60s, there was a group called Herman's Hermits. I don't know if you remember them. Uh, one of the songs uh, <clears throat> that they wrote was called uh, Henry VIII, I Am. And it goes like this. I'm Henry VIII, I am. Henry VIII, I am, I am. I just married the widow next door, and she's been married seven times before. And everyone was a Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam I'm her eighth old man. I'm Henry VIII. I am, I am. And then it would say, second verse. (laughs) Same as the first. And it would sing this song over again. Well, it used to drive me crazy. Hated the song. (laughs) But uh, it made me think about our text today. The reason it made me think about our text is... Sometimes I think that's how we look at the gospel. 
Oh, here we go again. We're going to talk about Christ's death on the cross. And to be honest with you, for some of you, it seems very boring. It's like, okay, I've heard this uh, before. Christ died on the cross for, for sinners. I, I get that, but what, is it, what does it mean to me? Reminds me of another hymn we used to sing when I was a kid at church that also reminded me of Herman's Hermit, but I didn't like that one too much either. And it uh, went like this. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. Didn't like that one either. But looking back on it, the reason I didn't like it is because I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know Christ. Thought I did. I was Southerner. I was in a Presbyterian church. But the reason I didn't like to sing it is because I knew it wasn't true of me. I didn't know Jesus. I didn't want to know about things unseen. I wanted to see what was seen. And I certainly didn't want to tell people about Jesus because I was too busy wanting to be accepted by other people than I was by Jesus Christ. But then when I was 17, not looking for God, God showed up in my life and I met Christ, the risen Christ. And now I can tell you that I love to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Jesus is the longing of the soul of the believer. Why? Because I'm a good pastor? Because I'm a good Christian? No, because I'm not a good pastor. And I'm not a good Christian. And so I love to hear the gospel over and over and over again. Now when we come to our text, Paul is in essence in chapter 8 verse 1 saying, second verse, same as the first. But I'm going to tell you, he was not bored with the gospel. He's gone through the last seven chapters saying that to anybody who's here that the good news of the gospel is it's not about performance. It's not about your performance. It's about what he has done. It's about what he's accomplished 2,000 years ago in space and time, friends. This is not a story. 2,000 years ago that Christ died for somebody and real sins were imputed to him. He spent seven chapters doing that and now he comes to chapter 8 and he recapitulates what he's just said for seven chapters and that is this, uh, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Now no condemnation. Ever will be condemnation. There can never be another payment. But here's the question before we move ahead. Does that stir you at all? Or are you bored with it? Is it leading you as a believer who professes Christ to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be united with Christ by the Holy Spirit... Does it lead to what he says in verse 3 and 4 when he says that he sent his own son made in the likeness of sinful flesh 
He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Are we walking in the newness of life and understanding constantly uh, of the, the realities of what Christ has accomplished? You see, if, if you are, it's because you love to hear second verse, same as the first. Because let me tell you what I know about every one of y'all. Six years ago, on October the 3rd, you sinned. And five years ago, on November the 21st, you sinned. And uh, yesterday, about 11 o'clock in the morning, you sinned. And let me tell you how you sin. The way you sin is you're giving yourself. I give myself to the idols. I give myself to all the other things. And so when we come here to re, as it were, re-give our bodies to him who is crucified for us, it is the simple gospel. But it is a simple gospel I think, once understood and contemplated, leads to a life filled with power. And a life filled with hope. And when I say filled with power, I'm not saying you don't ever sin. I'm not saying you're going to be the perfect wife or you're going to be the perfect husband. Because then you wouldn't be emptied. And if you weren't emptied, you wouldn't need Christ. And so there's this great paradox of always being emptied, but you're always being filled. And so there are many of you who are who are here this morning, who became Christians one or two years ago here at Redeemer. We heard several testimonies this morning. And now you're starting to hit the wall. You're going, where's all this liberty? Uh, Where's all this freedom? I thought when I became a Christian, there would be this power that's in me. And I feel more sometimes discouraged. Well, you see, that is the nature of what it means to walk with Christ because in that you look to Him. One last question I want to ask. So, so I want to ask, are you bored with this? If I got a Redeemer, I'm going to hear the gospel. I'm going to do the sacrament. The second question before we come to our text is, why are we bored? Right? If you're bored, yeah, okay, I get this, but, but you never tell anybody about Christ. You never have this sense of, you're more frustrated with all the stuff that's going on around you. You're, you're frustrated with your husband and your wife or your work or you're frustrated because you're not married or you don't have enough, whatever it may be. Well, I think uh, I asked that question to several people this morning. I thought about it because I'm preaching on it, right? And uh, I, I had two good answers. One is unbelief and the other is not aware of how sinful we really are. You have forgotten the work of Christ and why it's necessary. Simon the Pharisee and the woman who wept at Jesus' feet, right? Remember that? Simon the Pharisee, he was curious about Jesus. Who is this guy? And so he invites him into his house. And, uh, and so uh, while he's there, there's this woman who's a harlot. She's a, she's a whore. She slept with several different men. She was making money off men and destroying these men's families, and destroying her family. And she probably had several sets of children. Who knows, maybe she had abortions. And she comes in because apparently she had already met Christ. And she wept at his feet. And, uh, and of course, they were indignant because she was a sinner. And Jesus says, Simon, uh, you know, when I came over to your house, you didn't, you, you, you didn't give, wash my feet. But this woman here, she's washing my feet with her tears. 
And then he basically tells him why. Because he gives the parable of the man who owed $50 and the man who owed $50 million and the debt was forgiven on both, both which one would love him more. And he says the man who owed the $50 million. It is, you know, part of, my, part of my job as a minister of the gospel is to apply the law to your lives in such a way that you begin to get a sense of your condemnation apart from Christ. Children, your parents aren't your problem. You're your problem. Husbands, your wife is not your problem. Wives, trust me, your husband is not your problem. We're our problem. And the more we begin to fixate on the understanding of why the law crushes us, what Romans 7 is all about, the more you, in your effort to, to seek to keep the law of God, the, the law constantly says, hey, I'm sorry, you're, you're not good enough. And it forces you, it pushes you to Christ who is life. And what you receive, you give. If you're not receiving grace, you don't give it. Please. Because if, if in some way this doesn't resonate with you, it's because you're bored and the reason you're bored might be because you're dead. You're dead in your sin. And so, there are three things to see from our text. And... Um, that's very important to see. One is that there, there is condemnation to you this morning if you're not in Jesus Christ. You are under condemnation. And then the second thing to see for believers is that there is no condemnation. to the, not, No, not any. That's the, 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 the negative is pretty strong there. None ever will be. There will never be condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who are resting in Christ. And then the last thing to see that's quite clear is that the purpose of our freedom from condemnation is that we might have life and bear His image. So here's the first thing to see. There is, no, there is condemnation to those who are outside of Christ. Uh, I know this is not pleasant to talk about, um, but it's, it's important to understand how bad the bad news is before we get to the good news. But notice what he says in verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So obviously if what the gospel has done is set people free from condemnation, then by argument, those who are not set free from condemnation are still under condemnation. Jesus um, says this in John chapter 3. That great passage, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever this morning believeth in Him and, and trusteth and commit your life to Him will not perish but have everlasting life. But then he goes on to say, For the Son of God did not come into the world. He did not take upon himself a human nature to be our substitute, uh, to condemn the world, because the world is already condemned. One of the hardest things in the world is to convince people 
that they really are condemned. I wonder if I went around the room here, if people are honest to go, you know, I'm not real sure where I stand with Christ. It's an amazing, in our culture, more and more in evangelicalism and, uh, is, is uh, that we just don't like, we like, we, 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 want it, we don't ever get to the heart of the gospel because we don't like to think that Jesus would say that the world is condemned already. I have seen this. Years, over the years I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor a long time as a campus minister uh, for, for a long time. And what always uh, amazes me is how, uh, uh, how hard it is to convince people that uh, it's more, you know, the old saying, to err, to err is human. It's more than that. That sin is a transgression of the law of God. Uh, I was reading the other day about uh, a gentleman who was uh, in Fiji about 100 years ago. And he was an entrepreneur. He was a British uh, businessman. And there was a, there was a great tension often between the non-Christian business men, the entrepreneurs, and the missionaries that would usually pave the way before they came. And uh, so uh, this uh, entrepreneur was uh, talking to one of the chieftains in, in the Fiji Islands, and, and uh, he heard one of the missionaries uh, talking to one of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, natives. And, and he said, listen, th- these guys... You don't need to listen to them. These are old wise tales. These are old stories, and they're a waste of time. And uh, he happened to be speaking to the chief. And the chief said, well, you know what? If that were true, uh, uh, then we would be eating you right now. He said, we used to eat our own, and we were under the bondage of cannibalism until God in His grace sent missionaries to show us our sin, to convince us that we were separate from God. You see, the gospel actually uh, does free. But if you're not a Christian, you might be asking, well, why is it that we... Why why does it have to be negative? Why, why, why do we have to talk about condemnation? Let me, let me tell you why. Now, we've talked about this before, but I want you to put your theological caps on because one of the reasons I don't think we're, we're bored with the Gospels is we don't think it through. We don't think through things like the Incarnation. We don't think things through like the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. We just go about our way. But theologians talk about two attributes of God. One is his communicable attributes and the other are his incommunicable attributes. And let me tell you who God is this morning. An attribute is a characteristic. And, uh, and a communicable attribute are characteristics that God has that we have. One of the, what makes us different than, than animals is that we, we have many of the characteristics that God does. We have being, right? I, I'm Hal Farnsworth. Uh, I'm not... Uh, uh, Jeff Allen on the second row. I'm not Mary Beth Farnsworth. I'm married to Mary Beth Farnsworth. I know who I am. I have being. I am a human being. Uh, I can be holy. I can be just. I can be wise. But the problem is, I'm not always just. I'm not always wise. Sometimes I'm very stupid. I'm not always just on how I deal with everybody. But when we talk about God, obviously He's just and He's gracious and He's kind and He's holy and He is is righteous. 
But an incommunicable attribute is what God has that we don't have. And that is that He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in every one of those attributes. If God could increase any more, go up or down in His love, He would cease to be who He is. The confession talks about how God has no parts or passion. Well, what it means by that is when we come home at the end of a day and we expect uh, that when we walk through the doors, everything's going to be great, and then when we walk through those doors, it's not, we get angry. God always knows what's on the other side of the door. He cannot go up or down in His passions because He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. I could walk through these attributes, but to understand the dilemma that we have and that God has apart from the gospel, I mean, God has, has because of the gospel, is this. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His justice. He cannot move. He cannot bend on that. And that's why James tells us that if you keep the whole law of God, but you break it at one point, you're guilty of all. Why? Because God is unreasonable? No, because God is God. Because He is good and He is just. God has no dilemma if He just wants to condemn us because it would be just. But because God is also has the attributes of grace and mercy, He demonstrates, He feels the tension Himself that's met in the person and work of Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And for those who are in Christ and what he's accomplished 2,000 years ago, there is no condemnation. There is peace with God. But if you are not in Jesus Christ, then you will stand before God on your own merit. And you'll be found guilty. But notice also, though, that... So obviously, if he says there's no condemnation, there, there is condemnation to those who suppress the truth. We've already looked at it in Romans 1. But notice, secondly here, that he says that there is no condemnation for any who are here who put your faith and trust in Christ. Notice what he says in verse 3. For God has done... What the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Very clear. Now, if you haven't been visiting, let me give you the context. Paul has been trying to say that uh, based on what I just said, the law cannot cannot do anything but be a weight to you. Uh, the law is good, and if you keep the law of God, uh, you know, if you don't have affairs, that's probably a lot better than if you do. It's called common grace. But the purpose of the law was to sink us in our sin. And that's why Paul says here in this verse, he condemns sin in the flesh... I'm sorry, for God has done, God has done what the law that God gave this good, weakened by our flesh, could not do by sending His Son. Let me explain this way. I was watching a movie not long ago, and it was a freaky movie. 
And I don't know, I know it's a TV movie, I was flipping channels, but there's this guy who, who had this yacht. At least everybody, his friends, it was like old high school buddies. And he wanted to prove to them that he was successful. So basically he rents this yacht. Or he had a guy he worked for, like drove his cars for him. And he was going to let him use it over the weekend. So they're all in this boat. And, uh, and so they all decided to jump off the boat. And uh, so they're out there swimming, uh, treading water. And then, then this guy, uh, uh, he also jumps off the boat, but he forgot he didn't have a ladder. So here they are on this outside this yacht, and because of the shape of the ship, they couldn't get up. And so the, the whole movie was about them treading water, not having any means to get back on this million-dollar yacht. And one by one, after, after a while, they, they just can't tread water anymore. And they all sink, and they drown. But the irony of the movie was the guy that felt so guilty because of what was happening that was his fault. He had to admit right before he went down to his friend who would go right down after him that his life was a whole sham, and he told him that I didn't own the shot. Seeking to build himself up. Seeking to be somebody. Seeking. seeking uh, uh, to, to, it's all an illusion. And one by one they begin to sink. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's exactly what the law is to do to you. You can't get on the yacht. But according to our text, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And let me tell you, that you see all three persons of the Trinity in here uh, notice what he says uh, first off um, and, and by the way let, let me explain this God is working on our behalf Father, Son, Holy Spirit we, we've talked about this many times it's called the economics relationship of the Trinity and economics means there's a division of labor mom and dad do what they're supposed to do so that children can be secure all three persons of the Godhead are in our verses here working out your salvation if you're a Christian. First we see the Father, for he says in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by God the Father sending his Son. I know that some people have a hard time seeing God as a Father. I don't know what your fathers are like. Maybe your father was harsh. Maybe he was impatient. Maybe he didn't provide for you. But that is not the picture that the Bible gives of God our Father. Jesus loved his Father. Jesus was willing to give his... You're talking about worship? As, as the human being, the man Jesus, he gave his entire body to his Father even though he knew his Father on our behalf wanted him to be crucified. Why? Because he understood point one. That God's gracious and and God's, uh, God's uh, attributes. But it's the Father who sends the Son. God has loved us so much, He sent His only Son. And then, of course, we see in, also in verse 3, the work of Christ. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was made like unto us. The reason it says the likeness of sinful flesh is because at that time... Uh, there was a teaching that uh, Christ didn't really become a human being. 
He only appeared to be a human being. When he says he was made in likeness, he's saying he was created. I mean, he was not created. He, he was born of a virgin, and he was a human being living on our behalf, substituting on our behalf, and taking the wrath and curse of God on our behalf. And then finally we see the work of the Holy Spirit. For notice he says that, uh, that we are to, this is a work of the Spirit, that we might walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We might walk in the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's job to unite us to Christ and to make all things new. So from front to back, our salvation is a complete work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now let me say this and then I conclude. This is why the Reformers believed that salvation was of God. That had nothing ultimately to do with anything that we do, anything that we merit, any, even our own decisions that we're making and going, well, that makes sense to me. It is the electing grace of God to those whom He is calling. We're going to see this later in Romans 8. And we're certainly going to see it in Romans 9. But that's why we who are believers should find peace. Because it is God's calling to us and electing us and choosing us in Christ. And so that brings me to the last uh, point, and that is this that there is a purpose for, for not being condemned. What's above fair is that God calls us, He unites us to Christ, and, and He makes us new. And so the, verse, uh, the last verse in our text uh, tells us that in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit... What he's saying here is not only has Christ fulfilled the law, but that the law might be fulfilled in us because we're no longer under the law, but under the, work, under the, uh, under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit and His work in our life. So how does this work? What is the difference between being under the law and being, under, uh, being under, uh, united to Christ by the power and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, the best way I know to describe it would be this. Um, I can read a lot of books about marriage. Uh, the Five Love Languages. That's a pretty good book. And you try to figure out what love language your wife is or your spouse is. And Anybody read that book? Well, yeah. You go to seminars. And you can think about what marriage is, is all about and what you should do. And then you start trying to go buy the book. And, uh, but you see, when, when you marry somebody, you're not marrying a concept or a set of codes on how you're supposed to do your marriage. You marry a person. And it's one thing to break somebody else's law, so to speak, but it's quite a different thing when you wound the person that you're united to. The positive side of that is if you love your spouse, if you love your wife, if you love your husband, your whole desire is to do things and give yourself to that person, not because of rules, but because you love that person. This is what Paul is getting at. This is the difference between Romans 7 and Romans 8.
No condemnation. Freedom. Union with Christ through the Holy Spirit so that we might not walk in the flesh. You don't have to be the way you are. That you can change. Every commentator, and I conclude on this, every commentator uh, went to the woman caught in adultery. Everyone. You know, uh, John chapter 8. But yeah, the one was caught in adultery. And all the, the Pharisees and the self-righteous people bring her to Jesus. And um, they said, this woman has been caught in sin. What shall we do? The law of Moses says uh, to stone her. Man, they thought they had him trapped. And he turns to the Pharisees and says, well, whoever saw it and whoever is without sin... You go right on ahead and you throw that stone. And they all one by one dropped their rocks. And they went away and he said, he asked her, he said, who is, it, who is it that accuses you? And she said, none. And he said, uh, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and sin no more and then I won't condemn you. You see, until you understand existentially that the reason the woman was not condemned because Jesus was condemned a few months later on her behalf on the cross, until we understand that we're not condemned because he was condemned on our behalf, until you have that assurance by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to know the freedom of what it means to walk in the spirit, in the life that God has called us to. There is no condemnation. Praise be to God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work today. I pray for any who do not know Jesus, Lord, that they would understand, uh, think through why Christ had to die. It was for sins. And he is willing to forgive any who are here this morning who would come to him in faith and repentance. And Father, for we who are believers, we thank you that uh, you have finished the work. We're united to Christ's resurrection. We ask that you keep working in us to help us together talk about Jesus in our small groups, one-on-one -on -one relationships, that we would read the scriptures together so that we might grow in assurance of your love for us. Father, for any who have hardened their hearts against you, Lord, would you please cause them to see that there is no condemnation, that they would come home and rest in Christ again. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Those serving communion would come forward.